Amen. <coughs> this second petition in the Lord's Prayer is wonderfully summarized for us in the Shorter Catechism. I've been encouraging you to learn those questions to do with the Lord's Prayer toward the end of the Shorter Catechism. So in question 102, it says, In the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. I never cease to marvel at the arrogance of modern man because modern man wants to reinvent old theology. But you don't have to reinvent theology, men and women, because it'd be like trying to reinvent the wheel. And what we have within our own Westminster standards and within the shorter catechism and the larger catechism, <coughs> I think it is pure theology crystallized for us and outlined for us in a manner that uh, no modern theologian could do today, theoretically at least. So we're going to go to this definition here in the Shorter Catechism, question 102. And we're going to use it to help us understand uh, the second petition in the Lord's Prayer. So by way of introduction, let's examine, let's examine the relationship between the second petition and the first petition. Context is always everything. Now the first petition we looked at is hallowed be thy name. So that concerns the glory of God himself. Nothing can touch the glory of the name of God or the hallowing of the name of God. So everything else takes secondary importance. God's glory comes first and everything else comes behind it. So that's a vital lesson to learn. So the second and the third petition really are the means by which the glory of God's name is manifested in the world. We say, hallowed be thy name. How is the name of the Lord hallowed? By his kingdom coming, by his will being done. So God's name is manifested and glorified in proportion as his kingdom comes to us. And his will is done by us. And it's good for us to see the connection. Oftentimes there are people and they break into passages. Preachers do it all the time. They break into passages and they tear it out of context. And they divorce it from what it's meaning. And if you divorce it from what it's meaning is in its context, it's lost its meaning. So amongst the means for promoting God's glory, first of all is the kingdom. The kingdom. When Linda and I were married many years ago, we were given this great verse at our, at our wedding service. I've used it many times since. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God's kingdom has to be set up in our hearts and in our lives. And in those hearts and lives in which the kingdom of God is set up, then submission to the will of God is to be revealed because that is how Christ rules. That's his scepter. That's his authority. When people submit to his royal will. And so the first petition sets the standard. It's the kingdom. And I asked you today, are you in the kingdom? 
by grace are you in the kingdom of Christ today. Because it's only those who are in the kingdom can pray thy kingdom come more and more and thy will be done. We need to stop and examine with you what kingdom is in view in this petition. It has an immediate, I think, and an obvious reference (coughs) to the kingdom of the Father. Now there are always those, and they'll say, if that's the kingdom of the Father, what about the kingdom of the Son? I don't believe the kingdom of the Father and the kingdom of the Son are separate entities. They're one and the same. The terms are interchangeable in the Bible, because all that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. (coughs) For an example... We have the church of the living God. And the church of the living God is exactly the same as the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 3.15 and Ephesians 4 and verse 12. Is the gospel of God any different from the gospel of Christ? Not a bit of it. It's one and the same. We have the word of God. Mark 7.13 and the word of Christ. Is it any different? Colossians 3.16? Not a bit. It's one and the same. So the distinction that is made... It's not to differentiate the kingdom of God the Father from that of the Son. The distinction that is made is to differentiate this kingdom from that of Satan. That's why the distinction is made. And Satan has a kingdom. If you turn over just in Matthew's Gospel, to Matthew's Gospel chapter 12, verse 25, onward we read about Satan's kingdom. Matthew twelve twenty five, the words of Jesus. <coughs> he said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? So the Lord Jesus taught us here that Satan has a kingdom. And Satan's kingdom is standing. Don't think that Satan's kingdom has fallen. It's standing. It's operating. It's alive and well in this world in which we live in. And we read here, Jesus said in verse 27, If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judge. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. We have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan all within one verse. <coughs> the kingdom of Satan stands in opposition to the kingdom of God's own dear son. And there are two opposing kingdoms in the world in which we live in. And I want to say to everybody here in this Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, you who sit in the pew, you who maybe are listening in today or who will listen in, you're either in Satan's kingdom or or you are in the kingdom of God's own dear Son. And it's amazing to think that there are those today in gospel pews all across our land And they're within the influence and the sphere of the kingdom of God's dear son. And yet they, spiritually, are in the kingdom of Satan. If we're taught by Christ to pray for the coming of the kingdom of God's own dear son, then 
by necessity we do need to pray for the destruction of the kingdom of Satan. Now to say that in the world in which we live in today seems irrational because people, they don't believe in Satan, they don't believe in evil spirits, they don't believe in (coughs) a host of demons that Satan has to do as well and bidding within this world in which we live in. But it's there and it's standing. And in order for the kingdom of grace to advance, the kingdom of Satan has to be destroyed. And this is vital preparatory ground in the place of prayer. And you and I, we have to answer, we have to ask ourselves the question, here and on along, has the kingdom of grace been advancing? And if it hasn't been advancing, have we not been praying against the kingdom of Satan? Today you can't be negative about anything. You have to affirm everybody. Well, we're not affirming the kingdom of Satan. We're not affirming people in their sin. We're praying that souls will be delivered from their sin and that Satan's kingdom will be defeated here in this beautiful part of Lower Moore, that Satan's kingdom will be defeated. When we think of Satan's kingdom, let's think for a little moment about who Satan is. The name means an adversary. And what a picture is conjured up in our mind because the devil is an implacable adversary. I think we run out of adjectives <coughs> when we try to describe his character. If you look up the word adversary, all the things that are there <coughs> to describe what an adversary is. An adversary is someone who's relentless, pitiless, hard-hearted, cruel, callous, unbending, unyielding, obstinate. That's Satan. <coughs> That's Satan and much more. And he especially burns with hatred and enmity against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mankind in general, but the church in particular. Turn over just a few more chapters to Matthew 13. (coughs) Matthew 13 and 25. We read here about the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of grace and the gospel. And we read, while men slept, verse 25, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. What's the enemy doing today in the church? He's sowing tares. Do you not believe there's terrors in the Free Presbyterian Church? Do you think it's all wheat? Because if you think it's all wheat and you think there's no terrors, you don't believe in Matthew 13 and verse 25. Satan's sowing terrors in front of our own very eyes. Second Timothy, if you turn over there please with me. 2 Timothy, <coughs> chapter 2, verse 25, 26. 2 Timothy two twenty-five, we read, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves of God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, <coughs> and that they may recover 
themselves. But they may recover themselves. The word means to awaken. They're sleeping. They're in the sleep of death. Out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. Now if you have the margin Bible. You will see that that taken captive by, his, by him at his will. It means taken alive. Satan sets snares. He just doesn't sow terrors. He sets snares. The snare is a horrible thing. There, there are people still who snare animals and mourn for many different reasons. And that poor animal will come into that snare and it might suffer for hours before it dies. That's what Satan does. He snares souls. He takes them captive at his will. And he makes them suffer. He makes them suffer here and now. And is but a prelude of what eternity is to come. That's the kingdom of Satan. Should we not be praying against that? Break the chains that bind. Break the snares that bind. I think of that verse as well known to you. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Peter's warning the, the believers that are scattered abroad. And he said, you have an adversary. And do you know who your adversary is? Satan. Who goes about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. <coughs> we once visited the Masai Mara. And in the lodge at night you could hear the animals baying. Because they were out hunting. They were, out, they were out looking for flesh to eat. They were out on the kill. And then the tourists would get into the van in the morning. And then they would drive round the surrounding area. And they would see the kill that has been made the night before. Spiritually we can't hear it. But all around us, Satan is baying. He's like the lion. He's baying for blood. The blood of precious souls. God says in his word to the church of Jesus Christ, he's your adversary. He's your adversary. Every day we need to pray for God's protection against our great adversary. Because we have no might against him. Our only shield is Christ Jesus. He bears for blood. What then is meant when we read about Satan's kingdom? <coughs> well that's his power. And that's his dominion over mankind. You see. All mankind serves somebody. You, everybody here today serves somebody. You're either serving Christ or you're either serving Satan. There's no in between. You're serving somebody. You turn back with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. You can mark these verses in your Bible. Isaiah 49. 24-25. It talks here about the prey. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? 
or the lawful captive delivered? Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. <coughs> John Gill, he applied this to the taking of the Lord's people out of the hands of Satan. He's mighty. He's strong. But there's a stronger than Satan. And Satan to Jesus must buy. And he comes and he takes his captives. And he sets them free. And I'm glad today that you and I who are saved by God's grace. Were captives who have been set free. We could never have broke free ourselves. Oh maybe you tried that for years. But it wasn't until grace came and broke the fetters that your soul was set free. We're sinners by nature. And though we're sinners by nature, we're in a jailhouse of our own making, held captives by Satan. Where, where is this principal seat of Satan's kingdom? You know where it is? No, it's not. Some of you might say, maybe it's in some corridors of power. No, no, it's not there. It's not over in Moscow. It's not in London. It's not in Stormont. It's not in Dublin. Where is it? It's not even in Rome. Where is it? It's in the heart. It's in the hearts of fallen men and women. That's where his kingdom is. And it's a terrible, frightening thought that he reigns in the heart of every unregenerate man, woman, boy and girl. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. We'll not go there. You know those well-known verses. And the Jews resented. Oh, they resented Paul preaching in such a manner to them. They were the chosen race. But Paul showed them they were prisoners. Prisoners in Satan's kingdom. And he picked up this point in, in uh, Romans 5 and 12. Taking it from Isaiah 43 and 27. And he said that Jews and Gentiles are all alike. They're all born in sin and under Satan's sway and dominion. What a place to be. But I'm glad today we're gospel-believing people because it's only the gospel can break those chains. It doesn't matter whether it's in Europe, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in America, whether it's in Australia, wherever it is in the world, it's only the gospel can break the chains of Satan. If that does not spur us on to missionary endeavor locally, as we put the gospel out through those little magazines, if that does not spur us on to missionary endeavor nationally, globally, then nothing will. Nothing will. We need to pray for the destruction of Satan's kingdom. Turn with me please to Luke's gospel. What did Jesus say there? 
Luke's Gospel, <coughs> chapter 11, 21-22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. And that's exactly the world They're under the influence of the strong man that is Satan. He's armed. He keeps his palace. His goods are in peace. That's not the end of the story. Because verse 22 says, When a stronger than he shall come upon them. And Jesus is the one who is stronger than Satan. And he comes upon them. And he taketh from him all his armour wherein he trusteth. And divideth his spoils. There's a lovely thought there. Is there not? The souls of men and women. Are the spoils of Satan. And Jesus comes as the stronger than Satan. And he goes right into the very palace of Satan himself. And he takes the spoil. From under Satan's very nose. And Satan can't do anything about it. He can oppose it. And he does. He can fight and hinder it. And he does. And he will. But he can't oppose it. They've been taken. They've been brought in. Paul speak with the, the privilege of speaking to five men from India. We feel the call of God to Christian work and Christian service. And what thrilled me about it all was this. Four of them. Four of them were from total Godless backgrounds, steeped in Hinduism. Amazing. The spoil had been taken from the strong man's palace. He sets the captive free. That's our business, men and women. Satan's kingdom is destroyed by the advancement of the kingdom of the grace of God. And that should be our priority and on along. Our number one priority is to advance the kingdom of God's grace because as the kingdom of God's grace is advanced, the kingdom of Satan will be depleted. And let us pray that his ranks will be depleted. That God will add on to the number such as should be saved. But there's something else in this petition. We're praying thirdly for the kingdom of grace to be advanced. (coughs) What do we mean by that? I was looking up the larger catechism. Larger catechism 191. It says in the second petition. Which is thy kingdom come. <coughs> Acknowledging ourselves. <coughs> and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan. We pray. And there's some 13 subsequent petitions. That are listed as a result of that. And the first one is that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed. Two, that the gospel propagated throughout the world. That the Jews will be called. That the fullness of the Gentiles will be brought in. That the church will be furnished with all gospel ordinances and officers. That the church will be purged from corruption, countenanced and maintained by the civil magistrate. That the ordinance may be purely dispensed that they'll be made effectual to the converting of those yet in their sin and the confirming and the comforting of those who are already converted that Christ would rule in our hearts 
that he would hasten the time of his second coming and are reigning with him forever and that he would be pleased so to exercise the kingdom of all his power in all the world as best may conduce to these end. The kingdom and all his power in all the world. We look back in these sturdy Puritan men and these uh, Presbyterian forefathers of ours of years gone by and you know some people today would, would allege they had no missionary vision. They don't know anything about the reformers. They don't know the vision and the zeal of the reformers. These were men who looked at the world and they prayed for the hastening of the coming of the Lord. They prayed that the Jews would be brought in. They prayed for the fullness of the Gentiles to be brought in. That throughout the world itself, the kingdom of his power would be exercised. I I tried to summarize all of those uh, petitions. One in order for this petition to be fulfilled, we're praying that the gospel will be preached throughout the world. Just simple. We're praying for our own base here and on alone. We're praying provincially, nationally. We should be praying for Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. You know, there's some people they can hardly even get off the tip of their tongue. And praying for Ireland. That's a disgrace, eh, brethren and sisters. A disgrace. God doesn't look in and see orange or green. He just sees souls held in Satan's captive. We're praying for the Republic of Ireland. We're praying that souls will be brought to Christ in it. We're praying for the Jews to be called by grace. Romans 10 and 1. We're praying that the fullness of the Gentiles will be brought in. John 17 verse 9 and 10. I cannot get that hymn out of my mind that we've sang over the past few weeks of Isaac Watts. That verse says, Pity the nations, O our God, constrain the earth to come. Send your victorious word abroad and bring the, and bring the strangers home. Not what we're praying for. For God's word to be sent abroad, the strangers to be brought home. Two, in this petition, we're praying for the church to be furnished with gospel ministers and office bearers. When Jesus said the laborers are few, it wasn't that he was just thinking of a few missionaries scattered here and there. It's all abroad. Even laborers in the church, even officers in the church, the laborers are few. Three, when we pray this petition, we're asking for revival and renewal. Now, how do I know that? Because in the larger catechism, it is put for the church to be purged from its corruption. And that's what revival is. It's God coming and purging the church. Malachi 3 and 3. It says, he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi. We often think revival is God packing the churches out with people. Revival is God purifying the church of sin. Of sin. Of sin been dealt with in our hearts. Of open and unconfessed sin been dealt with in our hearts. Of old divisions and wounds been dealt with in our hearts. This church... been purged. Fourthly, we're praying for the ordinances of Christ to be purely and faithfully dispensed. What are those ordinances? They're simple. The preaching of the word. 
I, I don't know what has happened to the church in this day and age in that we have lost our appetite for the preached word and for the preaching of the word. The administration of the sacraments and the administration of discipline. That is the church, men and women. The church is nothing else other than that. And there are some people who have said to me, well, why do you not have this and why do you not have that in the church? Well, we don't have it because it's not part of the church. If it's not part of the church, why would you want to have it in the church? Because the great king and head of the church said you shouldn't have it in it. Then I think we should listen to what he says and not have it in it. The kingdom of God comes through such God-ordained means. That's always set a high value on the God-ordained means of the gospel. Five. We're praying that these ordinances would be made effectual unto salvation. We're praying for conversions. That's why you should be in the prayer meeting. Praying for conversions. Praying for converts. Praying for newborn babes in Christ. And then we'll, we'll close with this one if we could summarize it. Those 13, 14 petitions. <clears throat> We're praying for the confirming and the comforting of those that are already converted. I'm glad for the comfort that I get in the word of God. I, I'm glad for the comfort I get from mutual fellowship and interaction with other Christians of like precious faith. If we don't comfort each other, then there's something wrong with our fellowship. If another brother or sister irks you rather than comforts you, there's something wrong with your walk with God. Because this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to calm each other, not make each other anxious. Comforting. This is how the kingdom of God comes. Do we have any hope to believe that it will come? Yes. We do. The king rode into Jerusalem all those years ago. And he came to reign. And he's still reigning supreme. And he will reign for all of God's eternity. We read in Revelation 19.6. Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Will the kingdom come? It is coming. It is coming. And it will come to an along. It has come. And it will continue to come. If you look at those catechisms, and the larger catechism, you'll find three kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan, there's the kingdom of grace, and there's the kingdom of glory. As Christians, we're asking for the first kingdom to be destroyed. We're praying against the kingdom of Satan and all his machinations in this land in which we live in. We're praying against it. We're praying against it. But we're praying that the kingdom of grace will prosper. And we're praying that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's close, please, singing together some verses from hymn 36.
absolutely tremendous words. Let's think on them as we sing them together. We'll just take time to sing the three verses, only three verses. We'll stand with the music as we